All right, everybody simmer down for a little bit. Uh, let me introduce Clint Hill. Let's hear it for Clint Hill. All right. And uh, been knowing Clint for uh, several years now and just a really good friend of mine. We share some things in common in that he just uprooted his family and moved to Missouri to plant churches. And um, so I did that fairly recently and moved out to Columbia, Missouri and are going strong out there with a good team and excited about what God is doing there and excited about wherever God ends up sending Clint one day. And, uh, but anyway, I'm excited even more for what he's going to share with you guys now. So give him your attention and open your minds uh, wide and your hearts wide to what God has to share through him today. So let's pray. Father, I do pray that your Holy Spirit would dominate our time, that um, I know you're already active in minds and hearts, but just pray that you would continue to do that, Father, and that the folks in the audience would just uh, be willing participants in what you want to do in them. I pray that we'd spend more time not thinking about our neighbor and what they're hearing or what they're uh, focusing on, but that we'll really just listen for your voice speaking directly to us. Use Clint in a powerful way, even beyond what he can imagine, and um, we just thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Good morning, everyone. Man, it's exciting to be here. Love CMUs. I love, uh, I just, man, it's just been really cool to, to see every everything just it was really cool to see everyone yesterday. I unexpectedly teared up at weird moments. I don't know if y'all did, you know, but seeing everyone sing all together, it was one of those things where it was just like, yeah, you know, like it's weird. I don't know if you have only those post-COVID moments, but I have those, you know, where your kids are like playing in a playground without a mask. And you're like, I didn't know I'd be crying at this, you know, but you are. And you're sitting there like, you know, and you feel kind of silly, but it's also really awesome too at the same time. That was a moment for me last night. It was just really cool to see everybody here. And uh, I really, you know, it's funny, everybody teaches out of their, uh, out of their weakness uh, at CMU, you know, so no, it's not like you get a topic and you're like, oh, I'm really good at that, you know, and so when we're talking about materialism, they're like, Clint, why don't you, t why don't you speak it? And automatically, my inside me went, what are you trying to say? <laughs> what, are you, what are you trying to talk about? And they were like, well, you know, you, you struggle with that, and you struggled with that, and, and you could, you know, it'd be a really good thing. I think that's perfect. Let's bring that out. So my notes were all the way down here, so I was going to have to, but here we go. Yes. Yes, that's awesome. I can also, if you have any library books, you can put them right here. I will then put them in their correct locations. And so dual purpose thing. So, so you know, so materialism is something that, like, I mean, I did struggle with. I did struggle with it. I mean, I grew up, and I remember my dad always saying things like, top of the line, you know? No matter what it was, it was top of the line, you know? And, and we were eating pizza from Little Caesars, top of the line pizza, you know? And just like, now I know up, and I'm like, dad was a liar, all right, you know? <laughs> Little Caesars is terrible, you know? But that's how we grew up. We were always wanting the best. We were always wanting that, we are always wanting more and more and more, but it always had to be the right more and the best, and, and it was all a status thing. Materialism really, really wrecked my life for most of my life. Uh, when my wife met me, uh, you know, I brought more than just my good looks to the relationship. I also brought about 80 grand in debt. No school debt, all credit cards. That's, you know, she really loved me, you know? But it was one of those things where I had to have the best. I had to have the best. I had to have the best. And I really did struggle with that. I really did. We crawled our way out. We're out of that debt now. Praise God. 
you know? But it was one of those things, like, that drive for wanting more drove me to bad places. And so, and maybe you're not hearing, I'm not any granddad, I'm okay. (laughs) Let's not get there, right? Let's not be the bar for red flags to go off, okay? (laughs) Let's not get to that moment. We got to see what what red flags is materialism. When it comes into my life, what do I do? What are warning signs about it, you know? And so let's go to the next slide. It says, this is a great thing about materialism. It says, uh, when, what does... What does materialism mean? It means when the output outweighs the input, all right? That donkey's cart is heavily burdened, all right? So much so that do you think the donkey can pull it? No, no, that is materialism. That is, is uh, to its core. It's, it's when, you know, weightlifters call it blowout. You know, when we lift, we lift weights and we lift too much, when muscle blows out, that's bad. Uh, another bad thing is electricians call it overload. I don't know if you've ever seen overload. It's a pretty terrifying thing for an electrician, all right? Sparks fly. It looks like it's something out of a movie. It's a scary thing. It's not a good thing when the circuits get overloaded. And then the last part is one that I was very familiar with is bankers call it overdrafted. When I spend what I don't have, and then you get to see that wonderful little red mark, you know, come up. Like, yay. Materialism is, is when our, our wants have overloaded, and it's bad. The outcome is never, ever good. And it's, it's something we've, dis- we've wanted, it's something we've wrestled with for a very long time. People have wrestled with materialism, I would argue, since the beginning of time. Ab and Eve, you know, we, we have a, a fancy word for materialism. It's called desire. We desired something. Adam and Eve desired to be like God. It didn't work out. David desired Bathsheba. It didn't work out. Judas desired something more than Jesus. It didn't work out. These are warning signs to show us that materialism does not work out. And what happens when our desires gets out, out of, out of, um, out of control. Proverbs 27:20 says this, human desires are like the world of the dead. There is always room for more. That and I think man, that is like that's a, so why do I always want more? That's a great question. Why do I always want more? Let's go to the next slide. I always want more because I, the first lie there's, there's three lies we're going to uncover right here, okay? Of always wanting more. The first lie is, I think more will make me happy. I think more will make me happy. That's why I buy a new car or a new phone or relationship, because that will bring happiness. And there is kind of like an overjoyed, you know, an overjoyed thing of, of buying something, right? I mean, I know, like, I remember buying my first car. It was a new car. It was one of those, like, like we worked really hard for it and everything. We bought it. And have you ever seen Castaway with Tom Hanks when he made the fire? You know, that was kind of like me with the new car. Look what I have done. I have bought a car. You know, like, I'm just like, I was so excited about it. I had to tell the world. And my wife's like, who are you yelling at? And I'm like, the universe. You know, like, I'm just so excited. It does bring this happiness. You are overrelated. You are overjoyed. But it's temporary. I can tell you how long I was happy about the new car until I saw the new car payment. I was not 
thrilled for the little fees that they threw in that I had no clue about. You know, I thought it would bring me happiness. I thought it would be a good thing. Uh, the sad truth is that cars never last. Your iPhone that you just bought literally just went out. As we were talking, they came out with a new one. It's gone, you know? It always, everything always ends up. Relationships one day will end. And why should temporary things run our life? I remember growing up as a kid, I would, I, man, you ever had like this, this status of happiness as a kid? You know, like, like you would go to a friend's house and you're like, oh, if I only had that, my life would be amazing. My, my status of happiness as a kid is when I was in third grade, I was introduced to Nickelodeon. And I was like, whoa, what is this channel? I was at my buddy's house. I was staying the night. I was like, what is this? And it was like, they have all these things like Rugrats and they play like Transformers and they do all this stuff. And I was like, whoa, that is so cool. This show that you watch and it's programming just for me. And then at night you watch old Rick, old sitcom TV shows. And I'd be like, what? You get to watch old Rick sitcom TV shows. This is amazing. And I remember just being overjoyed about Nickelodeon. I was so happy. I thought, man, this is going to be amazing. You know what's funny is when I was 23 years old and I could afford my own things, I bought cable just because I thought that moment of elation as a child would happen to me. And I remember sitting there with my beverage watching, and I, I'll never forget, I was 24 years old, and I remember the first episode of SpongeBob SquarePants on Nickelodeon. I bought cable to watch it, looking there and going, what am I doing with my life? What is this? And if you like SpongeBob, I'm sorry, that show's terrible, you know? But I, mean, like, I was sitting there like, oh, man, oh, man. I got to have a new degree of happiness. I got to have a new degree of happiness. The first lie is you think those things will, be make, will make you happy, but the thing is, is they never make you happy, or the happiness is, is only temporary. It's never lasting. It's never lasting. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says this, I think this is, yep, there we go. <laughs> Let's go to the next slide, sorry. I keep forgetting, I gotta tell you, go to slide. Oh, it's struck? Oh, well, all right. Let's not go to the next slide. Um, Ecclesiastes 5.10 says this, those who have money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. And that's out of New Living Translation. So the first lie is we think it'll bring happiness. The second lie is you think it'll make you more important, right? You think you'll be more important with things. I watched, uh, I, I watched a lot of like HGTV. I, you know, my wife loves it. Actually, I have a love-hate relationship with HGTV. It's the reason why I had to shiplap my whole house because my wife saw an episode. We were like, we got to shiplap everything. I was like, I don't know what that is, but I'm in. You know, why not? I love you. We'll do it. And uh, so we really tested our marriage and did that. <laughs> and... Uh, and so, but, you know, HGTV has a show on that's kind of an interesting show, and it's called My Lottery Dream House. And it's where this very flamboyant, uh, this very flamboyant guy comes out, and he shows you around the dream house to lottery winners, and he says, this is the house you can have because you've arrived. And they look at it, and I mean, it's like, it's so ridiculous stuff. It's like golden, golden toilets and stuff like that. You're like, why do you need a golden toilet? Why do you need anything like that? But yet, you know, it's on there, and it's in like its 22nd season, you know? People love to see it. And it's because the lie of materialism is that we think it'll make us more important. Whatever that thing we're having is going to give me the status and the prominence that I want. 
Prominence isn't the same thing as importance. Remember that. Prominent people will be remembered for what, or prominent people will not be remembered for what they have. Great people are only remembered for what they've done. You know, you can buy the, I, I have a friend that, that bought this Porsche, and if he's listening to this, he knows who he's talking to. No, but, you know, he bought this Porsche, and, you know, he, he was like, yes. And I remember going, man, are you, are you happy? Is everything going? And he's like, for a little bit, yeah. But, like, it's fleeting. And I was like, man, I thought the Porsche would be like the, the epitome of awesomeness. You know? And it was, it was like, ugh. He thought it would bring the status and the security, and it did not. Because prominent people will only be remembered, will not be remembered for what they have, but great people remember what they've done. You think about great people, you think about what they've done for you. If I say Jesus, you think about what he did on a cross, right? Right? You don't think about the cool donkey that he rode in on the city. <laughs> remember about what they did. And so the lie is that you'll be more important. You can have more things and I'll be happy, is what you think. The fact is, we buy things we don't need to impress people we don't like. Really get down to it. I buy things I, I don't need to impress people I don't like. I buy, you know, I, oh, and do you have, a, do you have the, the, there it is. Oh, I'm so glad we got this up. Uh, the second, you know, right here, this shirt right here, it, just throw out a number. How much do you think this shirt is? 425, okay. 250, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's $986. Guess what it's printed on? 100% cotton. Wait, what? 100 per- you could you could buy a knockoff Gucci for like 10 bucks and it'd be made at the exact same material as the authentic Gucci shirt. That's ridiculous to me. But hey, so what are you buying right here? You're not buying material. What are you buying? That emblem. Why? Because I want people to know that I can buy a $1,000 shirt. That's what I want people to know. And that's the lie. That's a lie. When I was a kid, uh, I, I loved football. I loved football and I loved basketball. It was a, a lot of fun. And I'll never forget my dad, we, we didn't have a lot of money growing up, but I'll never forget, we, were, we went to go buy shoes. And I mean, every guy, who, every kid who's going into, going into basketball, what kind of shoes does he want to buy? Jordans, right? The problem with Jordans is on my family, you don't, you, we didn't have that kind of money. We shopped at Payless. We didn't have money to go to Jordans, you know, or anything. So my dad thought he'd be really clever, and he got me Shaq shoes, all right? which now I'd probably wear, but you know, like, I was like, you know, like he brought me Shaq shoes. And I remember thinking, I'm not going to play better in Shaq shoes, dad. They're not going to make me jump higher or shoot better or anything. And my dad was going, you won't do any of those things. The shoe doesn't make you do any of those things. And I remember sitting there going, well, why did I want those Jordans? Cause I wanted people to know that I took basketball seriously. You know, what's really cool. This kid, he was a way better person than me on the team in both talent and, and, and character at that time. And he wore Shaq shoes. And he started. He ended up being all, all state. You know, why? Because it wasn't the shoes that made him play basketball better. It was him. 
It was his character. It was his willingness to drive, his willingness to go. That's what made him be who he needed to be. But the second lie is, remember that second lie? I'll be more important if. Oh. Luke 2, 12, or 12, 15 says this, take care and be on guard against covetousness. For one's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. So first lie is I'll be happy. Second lie, I'll be more important. Third lie is I think having more will make me more secure. If I just had more, I'd be more financially independent. My son's going through that right now. Uh, he's getting in, he's a video gamer. I'm not a video gamer. I don't know anything about video games. I tried to play Fortnite. I really wish we would record it. It was one of the funniest things. My son just laughed the whole time, you know? I'd like got out. I jumped out. He was like, you got to jump out of the airplane. I was like, why would I jump out of an airplane? I don't want to do, okay, we're jumping out of the airplane. Oh, you, you got to land where the action is because you got to get stuff. I got to land there without stuff. What did you put me in? What kind of Hunger Games scenario, son, did you put me into? You know, like, this is not cool at all. And I remember playing, he loves it. He loves video games. And, and, and it got to be like where he got one video game, then he got another, and then he wanted another, and then he wanted another. And he makes his own money. He, we, we give him money to do, you know, some chores around the house and everything, so he has an allowance. And all he was doing was buying more skins or more video games and more. And I was like, son, can you take those things with you? If, if, if the hard drive crashes, what happens to your stuff? I had no clue that he knew anything about the cloud when I asked that conversation, too. <laughs> but, you know, but like, I was like, what happens to all your stuff? You just keep buying things, buying things, buying things. But then can you take those things to church? Or you can take those things in your life? Or can you take those things? I mean, you know, and he thought, oh, all these skins will make me more secure. I'll be the best player ever. And that's, it's a lie. It's a lie. As I have more and more things, I have more and more responsibilities. I love when uh, <laughs> one of my favorite uh, speakers is Rick Warren. He said this. I thought this was super clever. He said, I never worry about denting my Lamborghini because I don't have a Lamborghini. <laughs> I was like, what a simple way to think. You know, I don't worry about those things that I don't have because I don't have them. I don't have them. I have, enough, he says, I have enough pressures of my own. I got a wife and kids and all these other things. I don't need to add stuff on that to make me more secure. There are a list of people who tried to make their life secure and failed. Steve Jobs, right? I, I looked up to the guy. I thought he was a visionary. I loved his stuff, read all his books and everything. Guess what? He still died of cancer. No matter how, much he, no matter how many phones he put out, how, many, how much money he had, he still died. Chadwick Bronson. I love his movies. I've watched every movie. I thought he was amazing. Still died. And I could go on and on and on of the people who tried to build towers out of accomplishments and are no longer here. Because it's a lie that materialism will bring security. It's a lie. We are all going to face death. Proverbs 18.11 says this, The rich man thinks in his wealth... I have an impregnable defense, a high wall of safety. Man, what a dreamer. And then the, the, uh, another one of Proverbs uh, 23, 5 says, Your money flies away before you know it, just like an eagle suddenly taking off. It's all fleeting. So those are the three lies. The three lies is you'll be more happy. The, thir- the, th- uh, the, s- or the first lie is you'll be more happy. The second lie is you'll be more, uh, where's the thing up here? <laughs> 
important. And the, th and the third thing is, is you'll be more secure. Those are the lies that materialism has to offer. So what do I do to battle materialism? How do I get it? Okay, I get it. I, I want to be more happy. I want to be more important. I want to be more secure. I don't think there's anything wrong to want to have those things, so I can't get it through materialism. How do I get those things? How do I be that person? Well, I think the first thing is this. To defeat materialism, the first thing you need to do is resist. I need to resist temptation. You know, uh, Carrie gave... It's funny because I had the exact same, when he said it last night, I had the exact same story in my, in my thing. And I was like, in my lesson too, about the raccoon and the, <laughs> the keys and everything, I was like, he stole that. You know, but anyway, it didn't. I think it's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, we need to pay attention to this. It's pretty neat. That, you know, the story of the raccoon when he puts his hand in, in the, uh, the ball that, that he's just big enough for his hand, he grabs the keys and he won't let go of the keys. You know, he won't let go of his hand and that's how you trap a raccoon. You know, right? If the raccoon, and the, I love how Carrie said it too because it's so true, the raccoon is so dumb that he thinks this thing is more important than his life, right? If he would just let go, he would keep his life. If he would just resist the shiny, the shiny object, he would be more happier because he wouldn't be dead. So I love this. I thought this was such a cool thing that we can become possessed by our possessions, we can become possessed for, by our possessions. They can control us. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says this, when we measure ourselves by another and compare ourselves with one another, they are without understanding. Is there something in your life that you can't let go of? And chances are that thing that you can't let go of is also trapping you. And it's not trapping you to give you better things. It's trapping you to kill you. Because sin comes to still kill and destroy. That's what it comes to do. So we need to resist the things about, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I ran across all these really neat little, little, little one-liners about this, and I thought this was another cool one. Is the thing about things is they transform you. Have you ever met someone who was changed because they fell into money? Have you ever met someone who has changed by, they fell into something that was, that was bigger, you know? I know I have. You know, I thought I had really good friends, and then when they got that money, or they got that car, or they got that whatever, they just totally pieced me out. They're like, man, I'm out. We're good. I don't need you anymore. I don't need your friendship, because I got these other better friends. It was a terrible thing. It was a hard thing for me. You know, uh, those things, uh, the, the thing about things is it exposes their heart. 1 Timothy 6, 9 says this, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. We need to resist. Paul, uh, Paul calls self-control as one of the, when he's talking a list of what the, uh, of what the fruits of the Spirit are, he says self-control is one of those things, and self-control is a very important aspect to resisting. Because if you're going to resist, you need to have self-control in saying no. So how do we get that? We pray for it. We pray for it. And in those moments, we, we have to recall, this isn't a natural thing, too. In those moments, we have to remember ourselves, and we have to remember our prayer, we have to remember our commitment, and then we have to verbally say no. Have you ever said no when you weren't expecting to say no? I know I did. 
The first time I ever said no and I wasn't expecting to say no and self-control kind of stood in was, was the time when I, uh, Kelsey and I were just, we just started dating. And uh, I, I was not a very good person at all. I viewed uh, relationships like material. I was materialistic with relationships and I thought like collecting relationships is what I did. And not a good person, I know, but I was of the world. That's how we acted. And I remember be, uh, dating Kelsey. We were, we were like a month or two into, uh, into dating and this other girl wanted to go on a date with me. And my first inclination, because I've always been like, I'll never turn down a date, sure. You know, like, that was my first inclination. And I remember the words coming out of my mouth going, no. And I was like, who said that? <laughs> you know? I'm not going to do that. And it was one of those things that was super shocking to me. And the reason why I resisted in that moment is because my mind was right to resist. My prayers were right to resist. My accountability helped me resist, which gave me the courage to say things that I've never said before. So if you want to resist, you need those things in your life to resist those things. Because materialism will snap you up and not even think twice. Job had a lot. He had many kids. He had lots of land. He had, and he had all of these things that you think, oh man, this guy made it, and he lost everything. And when he lost everything, Job says this about losing everything. I have put my trust, uh, if I have put my trust in money or felt secure of my God, I should be punished. For it means I denied the God of heaven. Job's saying, if I, had, if I, put, my, if I put my thoughts and my possessions into what I had, man then I should be punished because I didn't put my trust in God. So we need to resist. The, the second thing we need to do is we need to rejoice. We need to rejoice and enjoy what you... Uh, uh, Sol, uh, Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes. I like Solomon as an example because he had more stuff than anything in the world. He had more stuff than all of us combined in this church, all right? He had stuff upon stuff upon stuff. And this was his, what he said about that stuff. He says, enjoy what you have rather than chasing what you don't. Just dream about nice things is meaningless, like chasing the wind. <laughs> you, you, we have to do that. I, <laughs> anytime I think of rejoicing, I, I don't know why, but I think of this song. I think of the TLC song, Waterfalls. I don't know why. You know, and I was like, you know, and then he's like, don't go chase it. Stick to the rivers and the lakes that you're used to, you know. And I'm like, I remember being as a kid, like, those are rivers and lakes there. Why would he leave that? You know, like, what's wrong with rivers and lakes? If you start, like, enjoying the rivers and lakes, enjoying the things that God's giving you, you won't lead you down the path of terrible things, which that song actually leads to horrible things in that song. You just were happy, and you were like, like, I am going to choose to be happy with what God has given me. It'll change your life. It'll change your life. Um, contentment and rejoice, just like resisting, isn't a natural you uh, trait. You have to be learned. God is teaching us not to long for things, but to rejoice in the things that we do. We have to rejoice over those things, and we have to learn how to rejoice over those things. And I think it's just little things. Like, I mean, truly, 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 I think that's why fasting and other things like that are super important. Because I don't know if you fasted for over 24 hours, and then you ate a piece of food. I don't know if you've done that in your life. I've done that. And it was the best piece of food I have ever had. 
It was, um, I could have been eating liver and onions and like, God, you, you give good gifts. Oh, you give good gifts. Because we're content in what we have. We're content. And it's not a natural thing. We've got to force ourselves to do it. And if you're like, I don't know what contentment is, I would encourage you to fast. I'd encourage you to do that and ask God, make me content. Make me content. Help me be content in what I have. You know, and, you know it's funny to me. I, I've done a lot of marriage counseling and everything. And one of, one of the funny things that I had one guy... Uh, one guy said, well, are you always attracted? She, he was talking to Kelsey, so not me, so I feel comfortable saying this. Uh, he, he asked Kelsey, are you always attracted to Clint? And Kelsey went, no! Man, gained like 50 pounds the day after we got married! No! I love him, though, and I choose. And she's like, I have to ask God to help me love him sometimes. Not because I'm, I'm ugly or anything like that, but because I, sometimes my attitude is ugly. You know, you ever been in those moments when your attitude is really, really just poor and your spouse is like, guess what? I love you, but it's not because of me. It's because of Jesus is why this relationship is together. Right. I know I've been there. We have to, we have to be content. We have to be content with that. Um, things all Christians can re rejoice over. If you're like, I don't have a relationship. I don't have that. Here's some things that you can rejoice over. You have a church that can love you. And if you don't have a church that love you, you can move here and you have a church that will love you. The really thing is, is how bad do you want it? What are you willing to give up to get that content, that, that joy? Just, God, I want to be happy. I want those things. You have a good family where you are. You have a good church there. If you don't have a church there, move to a place that has a good church. That is way better than stuff. Relationships are so much better than stuff. I didn't once believe that, but I believe that now. And if you want to really truly have, uh, truly know what it's like to be, to be rejoicing over what God has given you, I would encourage you this. The next thing you need to do is you need to return your blessing. You return it. In Deuteronomy 14, 23, it says, this can be, it can be summed up like this. The purpose of tithing is to teach you and those after you that God comes first. If you do not tithe, you do not know what joy is. You don't. Tithing is so important because it's the one thing that you work, I mean, think about it. You work 40 hours a week or sometimes more or sometimes less or whatever, but you do it to make money, right? And when you get that money, then you give it to God. And you're like, God, this thing that I worked all week for doesn't matter to me. You matter to me. You matter to me. And I'm going to trust you with this. I'm going to trust you with this. My life, I used to not tithe. I used to be a, what's funny is I've been a minister now for, well, about 16 years. I've only tithed, during, tithed seriously during six of those years. And I can honestly tell you the most that I have ever grown is the last six years that I have taken tithing seriously. And we think, well, I got this money and I don't want to give it up. Well, guess what? You found out what your true God really is. And that's terrifying. Because the thing about money, you always got to make more. You always got to make more. God loves a cheerful giver. This isn't just money. We've used this for money a lot, but this isn't just money. In 1 Corinthians or, or, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul says this, is God loves a cheerful giver. Because cheerful giving realizes that the amounts that you have been given cannot be compared to what you have received from Christ. 
I love you so much, God, that I don't care about any of this. I love you because you are so much more precious than my worthless stuff. You know, um, one of my favorite, one of my favorite guys in all of scripture uh, is Zacchaeus. And despite the fact that he was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, and then a sycamore tree, and all this stuff, you know, that we could sing about the song. One of my favorite things about Zacchaeus is he was another guy that had more money than all of us combined. And how did he get money? He cheated people out of money. So basically, Zacchaeus was a mob boss, which to me, I love the Godfather. That's one of the coolest stories in all of scripture, that the Godfather of the region became a believer in Christ. So cool to me. You know what his first inclination, whoa, his first inkling when Jesus changed his life to do? Be generous. He gave all of it, almost half of his possessions away. And he said, look, God, look, Jesus, and if anyone I have wronged, I'm going to repay them four times the amount. And you look at that and like, and I don't know about you, but I look at that and go, how much money does Zacchaeus have? <laughs> to where he can do all that and still be okay financially. When God changes your heart, the first inclination and the first like milestone that we have changed is that we are generous. You cannot be not generous and a believer. Those are two separate things. Why? How do you become generous? It's one of those other things that doesn't come naturally. You have to choose to follow Christ. You have to choose to ask God to help you. You have to choose to be in community that will hold you accountable to that. You have to choose to make those decisions, to be generous. You have to choose that. It's hard. These aren't, these aren't easy, but they're, it's hard, but it's so worth it to be a generous person. I love, I, one of my favorite things to do is to give gifts. I love giving gifts. Now, the thing about a minister, I don't know if you know this, we don't make a lot of money. So you got to be inventive on how you give gifts. So what I do is I do a thing called wood turning. If you don't know what wood turning is, you can come to my house anytime. I'll teach you how to do it. It's fantastic. One of the coolest things ever. To be on a lathe and to tur turn like a piece of wood going like 70 miles an hour, which is terrifying in its own self. But it turns, and then you shape the wood, and you make bowls and vases and things like that. I love that. And one of my favorite things to do with that is I'll spend hours on a piece thinking of one person to give it to the whole time. I'm going, oh, I love it. And my love language is gifts, so this is like comes natural to me. And I realize that's not everybody's love language and everything. But if that is your love language, man, I would encourage you to start making your stuff and hand it away. Or if you have money, give it to them. Be generous. You don't have to be generous. And, and you're looking at it, and if you're like, well, I'm not a gift person, Clint. How do I do that? I would suggest praying about it and ask God to change your heart in that. Change your heart. Because being generous is a lot better than being selfish. Being generous is a lot better than being selfish. So I return, I return uh, my blessing. Uh, and then the last thing that we do is I refocus my life. So refocusing means this. You set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. To God, this, this, this blew my mind when I read this. To God, everything is temporary except him. So when you have that focus, that, that, re, that we focus our mind on him and we focus on things that are eternal, what's a house compared to that? Look, I've lit, I mean, I, I, I have a house now. I can tell you tomorrow it can be gone through a fire or a flood or whatever like that. Like that. Nothing's eternal except God. God's the only thing that is eternal. And since he's the only thing eternal, let's set our minds on the only thing that we can stand on. 
the only thing that we can get through life with. There are things that are more, um, you know, there are things that are more important than uh, the materials, uh, you know, like I said, we talked about that you could be materialistic with, with, uh, you could be materialistic with relationships or cars or, or, or money. You, there's all sorts of ways to put, God, or to put God on the back burner with this job, with this topic. There's all sorts of ways. So just remember, you're like, man, my, my thing isn't stuff. Okay, well, it could be something else. I would encourage you to look at it and, and really, really look at your life and go, How, what is it? What is that thing that makes me wrong, that, make, that temptation to put God on the back burner? What is that? It says this. In 1 Timothy 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and we take nothing out of it. So uh, let's go to that very last slide that has all of them wrapped up together. So if you want to do that, if you want to, to really know and fight materialism with everything else, these are the four things you're going to need to do, and they're just summed up. Resist temptations, rejoice in what I have, return my blessing, and refocus my thoughts. And guys, I want to encourage you, this life is so much better than the life that I lived before Christ. When I decided not to give, when I decided to give God my all and focus on eternal and chase after him with every ounce of me, my life changed in ways that I never thought before. One of my favorite things to do is go to, uh, New Me- I'm from New Mexico originally in a small town like Clovis. And the thing about Clovis, I don't know why, but not a lot of people leave it. So when I go there, there's a lot of people I went to high school with, right? And so, and I, and, and I don't know why you do this in Clovis, but you go walk. You don't buy anything. You just walk around the Walmart. That's what you do, all right? All right? That's what, so when I walk around the Walmart, all right, in my, in my own town, I'll run into someone who knew me in high school. And I'll say, and they'll say, oh, we'll get to talking and everything. Say, what do you do now? And I'm like, and I'll say, I'm a minister. And they're like, that's really funny. You still got your sense of humor, Clint. What do you do now? And I, and I get to share with them, Jesus really did change my life. And depending on the person, it's like, I may need to apologize to you. <laughs> that's happened quite a bit, too. So it is so much better. Those people that have kept up with me, what's really cool is I had a guy just, just uh, a guy that I went to high school with, like, uh, we, we saw each other in Walmart. He actually lives in Baltimore, but we went in Clovis Walmart, which is funny. Anyway, you know, but uh, he, he lives on the East Coast, and he, he contacted me just a couple months ago, and he was like, your life really has changed. I've been noticing your Facebook like the past like years. You really are a different person. How did you get that? And I get to share it with what Jesus did. How Jesus made me the most, one of the most selfish, arrogant, jerkish people and turned me into someone that I, I like to see in the mirror. Someone that has two kids that I love. Wife and goes, to, goes to a church and actually Sunday is the best part of the day. He turned me into that. And if he can turn me into that, imagine what he can do with you. So let's say a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for everything you've given us. And God, I just pray that, that through... Um, the jokes, Father God, and through, and through getting to know you better through, through this topic, Father God, that we realize truths about ourselves that we need to change, Father God. That, God, I'm convinced, I am convinced, Father God, that if we resist temptations and rejoice in what we have and we turn our blessings and we focus our thoughts, Father God, that our lives will never be the same. And it will make the world look at us and it will make our families look at us and go, what are you doing different? And we get to share the news about you're the only thing that's different, Father God, in our lives, that you changed us from the ground up in an amazing way. We love you and we praise you. Your holy name I pray.
Amen. All right, guys, we got to keep it down because they're still in classes over here and everything. So we'll just have to keep it down. So you can go downstairs and go outside and then out here outside because Carrie was whispering and no one can hear a whisper. So there you go.